Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, Please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 68 Of the account given by the afflicted duenna of her misfortunes. The doleful musicians were followed by twelve duennas in two ranks, clad in large mourning robes, with white veils of thin muslin that almost reached to their feet. Then came the Countess Trifaldi herself, led by her squire Trifaldin of the white beard. She was clad in a robe, which, had it been napped, each grain would have been of the size of a good ronceville pea. The train, or tail, was divided into three separate portions and supported by three pages and spread out, making a regular mathematical figure with three angles. Once it was conjectured, she obtained the name of Trifaldi, or three skirts. The twelve duennas, with the lady, advanced slowly, having their faces covered with black veils not transparent, like that of the squire Trifaldin, but so thick that nothing could be seen through them. Don Quixote and all the other spectators rose from their seats, and now the attendant duennas halted and separating, opened a passage through which their afflicted lady, still led by the squire Trifaldin, advanced towards the noble party who stepped some dozen paces forward to receive her. She then cast herself on her knees and with a voice rather harsh and coarse than clear and delicate, said, I entreat your graces will not condescend to so much courtesy to this your handmaid, for my mind, already bewildered with affliction, will only be still more confounded. He must be wholly destitute of understanding, Lady Countess, quoth the Duke, who could not discern your merit by your person, which alone claims all the cream of courtesy and all the flower of well-bred ceremony. Then raising her by the hand, he led her to a chair close by the Duchess, who also received her with much politeness. During the ceremony, Don Quixote was silent and Sancho, dying with impatience to see the face of the Trifaldi or of some one of her many duennas, but it was impossible till they chose to unveil themselves. All was expectation and not a whisper was heard 
till at length the afflicted lady began in these words, Confident I am, most potent lord, most beautiful lady, and most discreet spectators, that my most unfortunate miserableness will find in your generous and compassionate bowels a most merciful sanctuary, for so doleful and dolorous is my wretched state that it is sufficient to mollify marble, to soften adamant, and melt down the steel of the hardest hearts. But before the rehearsal of my misfortunes is commenced, I earnestly desire to be informed whether this noble circle be adorned by the presence of that most renowned knight, Don Quixote de la Mancha, and his squire Panza. That same Panza, said Sancho, before anyone could answer, stands here before you, and also Don Quixote, and therefore, most dolorous duenna, say what you will, for we are all ready to be your most humble servants. Upon this Don Quixote stood up, and addressing himself to the doleful countess, he said, If your misfortunes, afflicted lady, can admit of remedy from the valor or fortitude of a knight errant, the little all that I possess shall be employed in your service. I am Don Quixote de la Mancha, whose function it is to relieve every species of distress. You need not, therefore, madam, implore benevolence nor have recourse to preambles, but plainly and without circumlocution declare your grievances, for you have auditors who will bestow commiseration, if not redress. On hearing this, the afflicted duenna attempted to throw herself at Don Quixote's feet and struggling to kiss them, said, I prostrate myself, O invincible knight, before these feet and legs, which are the bases and pillars of knight errantry, and will kiss these feet whose steps lead to the end and termination of my misfortunes. O valorous errant, whose true exploits surpass and obscure the fabulous feats of the Amatuses, Esplandians, and Belianuses of old. Then, leaving Don Quixote, she turned to Sancho Panza, and taking him by the hand, said, O thou, the most trusty squire that ever served knight errant in present or past ages, whose goodness is of greater extent than that beard of my usher Trifaldin, while mayest thou boast that, in serving Don Quixote, thou dost serve, in epitome, all the knights errant that ever shone in the annals of chivalry. I conjure thee, by thy natural benevolence and inviolable fidelity, to intercede with my lord in my behalf, that the light of his favor may forthwith shine upon the humblest and unhappiest of countesses. The Duke and Duchess could scarcely preserve their gravity and were highly pleased with the ingenuity of the Countess Trifaldi, who, having seated herself, thus began her tale of sorrow. The famous kingdom of Candia had for its queen the Lady Donna Maguncia, widow of King Archipela, who died, leaving the Infanta Antonomasia, their only child, heiress to the crown. This princess was brought up and educated under my care and instruction, I being the eldest and chief of the duennas in the household of her royal mother. Now, in process of time the young Antonomasia arrived at the age of fourteen with such a perfection of beauty that nature could not raise it to a pitch higher, for she was as discreet as fair, and she was the fairest creature living and so she still remains, if the envious fates and hard-hearted destinies have not cut short her thread of life. 
Her wondrous beauty attracted innumerable adorers, and princes of her own and every other nation became her slaves. Among the rest, a private cavalier of the court had the audacity to aspire to that earthly heaven, confiding in his youth, his gallantry, his sprightly and happy wit, with numerous other graces and qualifications. Indeed, I must confess to your highnesses, though with reverence be it spoken, he could touch the guitar to a miracle. He was, besides, a poet and a fine dancer and had so rare a talent for making bird cages that he might have gained his living by it in case of need. So many parts and elegant endowments were sufficient to have moved a mountain much more the tender heart of a virgin. But all his graces and accomplishments would have proved ineffectual had not the robber and ruffian first artfully contrived to make a conquest of me. The assassin and barbarous vagabond began with endeavoring to obtain my goodwill and suborn my inclination that I might betray my trust and deliver up to him the keys of the fortress I guarded. In short, he so plied me with toys and trinkets and so insinuated himself into my soul that I was bewitched. But that which chiefly brought me down and leveled me with the ground was a copy of verses which I heard him sing one night under my window, and, if I remember right, the words were these. The tyrant fair whose beauty sent the throbbing mischief to my heart, the more my anguish to augment, forbids me to reveal the smart. The words of his song were to me so many pearls, and his voice was sweeter than honey, and many a time since have I thought, reflecting on the evils I incurred, that poets at least your amorous poets should be banished from all good and well-regulated commonwealths, for, instead of composing pathetic verses like those of the Marquis of Mantua, which make women and children weep, they exercise their skill in soft strokes and tender touches, which pierce the soul and, entering the body like lightning, consume all within while the garment is left unsinged. Another time he sung, Come death, with gently stealing pace, and take me unperceived away, nor let me see thy wished-for face, lest joy my fleeting life should stay. Thus was I assailed with these and such like couplets that astonish and, when chanted, are bewitching. But when our poets deign to compose a kind of verses much in fashion with us, called roundelays then, alas! They are no sooner heard than the whole frame is in a state of emotion, the soul is seized with the pleasing delirium of all the senses. I therefore say again, most noble auditors, that such versifiers deserve to be banished to the Isle of Lizards, though, in truth, the blame lies chiefly with the idiots who suffer themselves to be deluded by such things, and had I been a wise and discreet duenna, the nightly chanting of his verses would not have moved me, nor should I have lent an ear to such expressions as dying I live, in ice I burn, I shiver in flames, in despair I hope, I fly, yet stay, with other flimflums of the like. Stamp, of which such kind of writings are full. Then again, when they promise to bestow on us the phoenix of Arabia, the crown of Ariadne, the ringlets of Apollo, 
the pearls of the South Sea, the gold of Tiber, and the balsam of Pancaya, how bountiful are their pens! How liberal in promises which they cannot perform! But, woe is me, unhappy wretch! Whither do I stray? What madness impels me to dwell on the faults of others who have so many of mine own to answer for? Woe is me again, miserable creature! No, it was not his verses that vanquished me, but my own weakness, music did not subdue me, no, it was my own levity, my ignorance and lack of caution that melted me down, that opened the way and smoothed the passage for Don Clavijofort that is the name of the treacherous cavalier. Thus being made the go-between, the wicked man was often in the chamber of the not by him, but by me, betrayed Antonomasia as her lawful spouse, for, sinner as I am, never would I have consented unless he had been her true husband, that he should have come within the shadow of her shoestring. No, no, marriage must be the forerunner of any business of this kind undertaken by me. The only mischief in the affair was that they were ill-sorted, Don Clavijo being but a private gentleman, and the Infanta Antonomasia, as I have already said, heiress of the kingdom. For some time this intercourse, enveloped in the sagacity of my circumspection, was concealed from every eye. At length we laid our three heads together and determined that Don Clavijo should demand Antonomasia in marriage before the vicar in virtue of a contract signed and given him by the Infanta herself to be his wife and so worded by my wit that the force of Samson could not have broken through it. Our plan was immediately carried into execution, the vicar examined the contract, took the lady's confession, and she was placed in the custody of an honest alguazil. Bless me, said Sancho, alguazils too, and poets, and songs, and roundelays, in Candaya. I swear the world is the same everywhere. But pray get on, good Madame Trifaldi, for it grows late, and I am on thorns till I know the end of this long story. I shall be brief, answered the Countess. Chapter 69 Wherein the Countess Trifaldi continues her stupendous and memorable history. Every word uttered by Sancho was the cause of much delight to the Duchess and disgust to Don Quixote, who having commanded him to hold his peace, the afflicted went on. After many questions and answers, said she, the Infanta stood firm to her engagement without varying a tittle from her first declaration, the vicar therefore confirmed their union as lawful man and wife, which so affected the Queen Donna Maguncia mother to the Infanta Antonomasia that three days after we buried her. She died then, I suppose, quoth Sancho. Assuredly, replied the squire Trifaldin, in Candia we do not bury the living, but the dead. Nevertheless, said Sancho, it has happened before now that people only in a swoon have been buried for dead and methinks Queen Maguncia ought rather to have swooned than died in good earnest, for while there is life there is hope, and the young lady's offense was not so much out of the way that her mother should have taken it so to heart. 
had she married one of her pages or some serving men of the family, as I have been told many have done, it would have been a bad business and past cure, but as she made choice of a well-bred young cavalier of such good parts, faith and troth, though mayhap it was foolish, it was no such mighty matter, for, as my master says, bishops are made out of learned men, and why may not kings and emperors be made out of cavaliers, especially if they be errant? Thou art in the right, Sancho, said Don Quixote, for a knight errant, with but two grains of good luck, is next in the order of promotion to the greatest lord in the world. But let the afflicted lady proceed, for I fancy the bitter part of this hitherto sweet story is still behind. Bitter, answered the countess, I, and so bitter that, in comparison, wormwood is sweet and rue savory. The queen being really dead, and not in a swoon, we buried her, and scarcely had we covered her with earth and pronounced the last farewell, when Castalia fando temperet a lacrimis? Lo, upon the queen's sepulchre, who should appear, mounted on a wooden horse, but her cousin German the giant Melambruno. Yes, that cruel necromancer came expressly to revenge the death of his cousin and to chastise the presumptuous Don Clavio and the foolish Antonomasia, both of whom, by his cursed art, he instantly transformed her into a monkey of brass and him into a frightful crocodile of some strange metal fixing upon them at the same time a plate of metal unraven with Syriac characters which being first rendered into the Candian and now into the Castilian language have this meaning, these two. Presumptuous lovers shall not regain their pristine form till the valorous Manchegan engages with me in single combat since for his mighty arm alone have the destinies reserved the achievement of that stupendous adventure. No sooner was the wicked deed performed than out he drew from its scabbard a dreadful scimitar and, taking me by the hair of the head, he seemed preparing to cut my throat or whip off my head at a blow. Though struck with horror and almost speechless, trembling and weeping, I begged for mercy in such a moving tone and melting words that I at last prevailed on him to stop the cruel execution which he meditated. In short, he ordered into his presence all the duennas of the palace, being those you see here present, and after having expatiated on our fault, invade against duennas, their wicked plots, and worse intrigues, and reviled all for the crime of which I alone was guilty, he said, though he would vouchsafe to spare our lives, he would inflict on us a punishment that should be a lasting shame. At the same instant, we all felt the pores of our faces open, and a sharp pain all over them, like the pricking of needle points upon which we put our hands to our faces and found them in the condition you shall now behold. Hereupon the afflicted lady and the rest of the duennas lifted up the veils which had hitherto concealed them and discovered their faces planted with beards of all colors black, brown, white, and piebald. The Duke and Duchess viewed the spectacle with surprise and Don Quixote, Sancho, and the rest were all lost in amazement. Thus, 
continued the Trifaldi, hath the wicked and evil-minded felon Nalambruno punished us covering our soft and delicate faces with these rugged bristles, would to heaven he had struck off our heads with his huge scimitar, rather than have obscured the light of our countenances with such an odious cloud. Here, being overcome with the strong sense of her calamity, she fell into a swoon. Chapter 70 which treats of matters relating and appertaining to this adventure and to this memorable history. The history then proceeds to relate that when Sancho saw the afflicted lady faint away, he said, upon the word of an honest man, I swear I never heard or saw, nor has my master ever told me, nor did such an adventure as this ever enter into his thoughts. A thousand devils overtake thee not to say curse thee Malambruno, for an enchanter and giant. Couldst thou hit upon no other punishment for these poor creatures than clapping beards upon them? Had it not been better to have whipped off half their noses, though they had snuffled for it, than to have covered their faces with scrubbing brushes? And, what is worse, I'll wager a trifle they have not wherewithal to pay for shaving. That is true, indeed. Sir, answered one of the twelve, we have not wherewithal to satisfy the barber, and therefore, some of us lay on plasters of pitch, which being pulled off with a jerk, take up roots and all, and thereby free us of this stubble for a while. As for the women who, in Candaya, go about from house to house, to take off the superfluous hairs of the body, and trim the eyebrows for ladies, we, the duennas of her ladyship, would never have anything to do with them, for they are most of them no better than they should be, and therefore, if we are not relieved by Senior Don Quixote, with beards we shall live, and with beards be carried to our graves. I would pluck off my own in the land of Moors, said Don Quixote, if I failed to deliver you from yours. Ah, valorous knight, cried the Trifaldi, having now recovered from her fainting fit, addressing the knight, once again, then, illustrious errant and invincible hero, let me beseech and pray that your gracious promises may be converted into deeds. The business shall not sleep with me, answered Don Quixote, therefore say, Madam, what I am to do, and you shall soon be convinced of my readiness to serve you. Be it known, then, to you, sir, replied the afflicted dame, that from this place to the kingdom of Candia, by land, is computed to be about five thousand leagues, one or two more or less, but through the air in a direct line it is three thousand two hundred and twenty-seven. You are likewise to understand that Melambruno told me that, whenever fortune should direct me to the knight who was to be our deliverer, he would send him a steed not like the vicious jades let out for hire, but one of a very remarkable description for it should be that very wooden horse upon which Peter of Provence carried off the fair Magdalena, and which is governed by a peg in his forehead, serving instead of a bridle. This famous steed tradition reports to have been formed by the cunning hand of Merlin the Enchanter, who sometimes allowed him to be used by his particular friends, or those who paid him handsomely, and he it was who lent him to his friend the valiant Peter, when, as I said before, he stole the fair Magdalena, whisking her through the air behind him on the crupper, 
and leaving all that beheld him from the earth gaping with astonishment. Since the time of Peter to the present moment, we know of none that mounted him, but this we know, that Malambruno, by his art, has now got possession of him, and by his means posts about to every part of the world. Today he is here, tomorrow in France, and the next day in Potosi, and the best of it is, that this same horse neither eats nor sleeps, nor wants shoeing, and, without wings, he ambles so smoothly that, in his most rapid flight, the rider may carry in his hand a cupful of water without spilling a drop. No wonder, then, that the fair Magalona took such delight in riding him. As for easy-going, quoth Sancho, commend me to my dapple, though he is no high-flyer, but by land I will match him against all the amblers in the world. The gravity of the company was disturbed for a moment by Sancho's observation, but the unhappy lady proceeded, Now this horse, said she, if it be Malambruno's intention that our misfortune should have an end, will be here this very evening, for he told me that the sign by which I should be assured of my having arrived in the presence of my deliverer would be his sending me the horse thither with all convenient dispatch. And pray, quoth Sancho, how many will that same horse carry? Two persons, answered the lady, one in the saddle and the other on the crupper, and generally these two persons are the knight and his squire when there is no stolen damsel in the case. I would fain know, quoth Sancho, by what name he is called. His name, answered the Trifaldi, is not the same as the horse of Bellerophon, which was called Pegasus, nor is he called Bucephalus, like that of Alexander the Great, nor Brillador, like that of Orlando Furioso, nor is it Beorte, which belonged to Rinaldos of Montalvan, nor Frentino, which was the steed of Rogero, nor is it Boades, nor Pyroas names given, it is said, to horses of the sun, neither is he called Aurelia, like the horse which the unfortunate Rodrigo, the last king of the Goths in Spain, mounted in that battle wherein he lost his kingdom and his life. I will venture a wager, quoth Sancho, since they have given him none of these famous and well-known names, neither have they given him that of my master's horse, Rosinante, which in fitness goes beyond all the names you have mentioned. It is very true, answered the bearded lady, yet the name he bears is correct and significant, for he is called Clavellino el Alligero, whereby his miraculous peg, his wooden frame, and extraordinary speed are all curiously expressed, so that, in respect of his name, he may vie with the renowned Rosinante. I dislike not his name, replied Sancho, but with what bridle or with what halter is he guided? I have already told you, answered the Trifaldi, that he is guided by a peg, which the rider turning this way in that makes him go either aloft in the air or else sweeping and, as it were, brushing the earth or in the middle region a course which the discreet and wise generally endeavor to keep. I have a mighty desire to see him, quoth Sancho, but to think I will get upon him either in the saddle or behind upon the crupper is to look for pears upon an elm tree. It were a good jest, indeed, for me, 
who can hardly sit my own dapple, though upon a panel softer than silk, to think of bestriding a wooden crupper without either pillow or cushion. In faith, I do not intend to flay myself to unbeard the best lady in the land. Let everyone shave or shear as he likes best. I have no mind for so long a journey. My master may travel by himself. Besides, I have nothing to do with it. I am not wanted for the taking off these beards, as well as the business of my lady Dulcinea. Indeed, my friend, you are, said the Trifaldi, and so much need is there of your kind help, that without it nothing can be done. In the name of all the saints, quoth Sancho, what have squires to do with their master's adventures? Are we always to share all the trouble, and they to reap all the glory? Body owe me, it might be something if the writers who recount their adventures would but set down in their books, such a knight achieved such an adventure, with the help of such an one his squire, without whom he could not have done it. I say, it would be something if we had our due, but instead of this they coolly tell us that Don Paralipomenon of the Three Stars finished the notable adventure of the Six Goblins and the like without once mentioning his squire any more than if he had been a thousand miles off, though mayhap he, poor man, was in the thick of it all the while. In truth, my good lord and lady, I say again, my master may manage this adventure by himself, and much good may it do him. I will stay with my lady duchess here, and perhaps when he comes back he may find Madame Dulcinea's business pretty forward, for I intend at my leisure times to lay it on to some purpose. Nevertheless, honest Sancho, quoth the duchess, if your company be really necessary, you will not refuse to go. Indeed, all good people will make it their business to intrigue you, for piteous, truly, would it be that through your groundless fears, these poor ladies should remain in this unseemly plight. Oh, Diaz, my life, exclaimed Sancho, were this piece of charity undertaken for modest maidens or poor charity girls, a man might engage to undergo something, but to take all this trouble to rid duennas of their beards plague take them. I had rather see the whole finical and squeamish tribe bearded, from the highest to the lowest of them. You seem to be upon bad terms with duennas, friend Sancho, said the duchess, and are of the same mind as the told in apothecary, but, in truth, you are in the wrong, for I have duennas in my family who might serve as models to all duennas, and here is my Donna Rodriguez, who will not allow me to say otherwise. Enough, your excellency, quoth Don Quixote, as for you, Lee Trifaldi and your persecuted friends, I trust that heaven will speedily look with a pitying eye upon your sorrows, and that Sancho will do his duty in obedience to my wishes. Would that Clavellino were here, and on his back Melambruno himself, for I am confident no razor would more easily shave your ladyship's beards, than my sword shall shave off Melambruno's head from his shoulders. If heaven in its wisdom permits the wicked to prosper, it is but for a time. Ah, valorous knight, exclaimed the afflicted lady, may all the stars of the celestial regions regard your excellency with eyes of benignity, 
and impart strength to your arm and courage to your heart to be the shield and refuge of the reviled and oppressed to any in order, abominated by apothecaries, calumniated by squires, and scoffed at by pages.